Well, those of you that don't know Sonia, maybe you weren't here last week. Sonia Combs is a great friend of our family, but she's also a great friend of our church. She is a counselor in Spokane. She owns three, she owns one business with three locations. Um, God's blessed her so much that um, she's doing a great job and using her gifts and talents as well for Jesus and um, has several businesses that help people grow in mental health. And um, we're excited this morning to just talk about mental health, talk about how important it is for us as followers of Christ to have good, healthy mental health, because we're asking a really big question this year. I mean, a super big question. What's our question? That's right. Am I all in for Jesus? This is the 830 service, by the way. So I just let them kind of because they're not really awake yet. So um, next service, you'll hear like they're, they got it. They're like, am I all in for Jesus? Like they are, right? Should we let them try again? Absolutely. Okay. What's the question for this year? There you go. Now your coffee just kicked in. Way to go. That's nice. Um, And so we're asking this big question, am I all in for Jesus? And right now we're in a series called the wellness check. And the wellness check is this idea that all of us have to get a wellness check every year, right? Whether we like it or not, it's kind of like a shower. You got to do one once a year. And, um, and the wellness check is, you know, our insurance company says, Hey, I want you to go to the doctor and I want you to figure out if you're okay. And if you're healthy. And so we're discovering And trying to ask very, very thoughtful questions and important things because our spiritual health, our mental health, our emotional health, and our physical health is very, very important for us to be an authentic, a real, powerful follower of Jesus Christ. And God's word is full of verses and ideas that help us deal with that because he made us. He made us this way. And so he wants us to be healthy in all those ways. And so um, we're doing some really great things. And we wanted to talk about mental health. And in particular, we wanted to talk about mental health. And as Sonia and I sat down and began to talk about mental health, um, it turned into a two-week series (laughs) that quickly. Um, And we actually pared that down from an 11-week series, (laughs) right? Because isn't that true, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but um, we're talking about mental health because it's so important. So I'll let Sonia kind of jump in, and I'll jump in too, but Sonia, why don't you just, in a basic way, as we get started this morning again, talk about why we're talking about mental health. Why is this so important to you? Um, boy, I didn't know you were going to ask me that question. This morning. That's so <laughs> I I just think that what we all understand is if we do not take care of our mental minds and are aware of what's going on, it can, it can really wreak havoc. And so I think it's really exciting that our churches are finally starting to have the conversation. Um, This is a real thing. Mm -hmm. This is not made up. Um, So many people are struggling with mental health challenges. Um, And so the uh, educator in me gets excited to share all kinds of boring data, because I think that's really important too. We have data to support these things. We have had data for a long time to support what we know about physical health. Um, Mental health is a relatively new field. Um, If you think about it in the 50s, we were doing lobotomies on people. Like we were scrambling their brains trying to figure out what was going on. Now, with all the advances we have in healthcare, we know a lot more. And when we know a lot more, we have a lot that we can 
we can understand. And right. so that's where I get excited is yeah. just to help people understand and find freedom in Christ. Yeah, that's right. So that freedom in Christ is what we're talking about because we want to be all in for Jesus and we want to be free from everything. Last week, we ended with a really, really important verse. And we're going to launch into that as we start this morning. That verse is Romans chapter 12, verse two. Let me read it to you. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, follow me just for a second. Let's get some good theology in our brain for a moment. How many of you want to live in the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? Me too, right? Here's what this verse says. Here's what Paul is saying. If you want to live in the good, pleasing, and perfect will, you've got to get your thinking right. You got to get your thinking right. And how many of you know that is often a big challenge? It's huge. All of us have families of origin. All of us have past experiences. All of us have past trauma. And so the reality is all of us are dealing, and I just want to say this because this is really important, right? All of us are dealing with mental health issues in one way or another. Every single one of us. Don't think that you're not. You are. You may not be addressing it and you may not, and you may be ignoring it and you may be suppressing it, but you do have mental health issues. All of us do. And that's why Paul says in a very general way, all of us, every single one of us as followers of Jesus Christ need our thinking to be transformed in one way or another and how important that is. And so um, we wanted to talk about that this morning with some more things. And uh, I thought it was great what you said. You, you, you like the educational side. You like the geeky outside. So let's geek out for a minute with some fast facts and some fun facts that remind us of the neuroplasticity that we talked about last week, which is that our brains now, science is telling us, our brains can change and they can be reworked and we can rethink and brain pathways can be retaught if we will let the Lord do that, and if we will do the hard work that it often takes to work through some challenges, um, we can do that. Uh, so give us some, some fast facts. They might not be so much fun facts, but they're fast facts about some things that are true for mental health. Go ahead. Yeah. Is this, is this coming up on the screen? Oh, I is. think so. Yeah, yeah there it is. is. Okay, yeah. great. Um, so we start out with one in five U.S. adults, so that's 18 and plus, um, experience mental illness each year. So let's go one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five, right? Like one in five uh, are experiencing some form of mental illness. Um, Whoa. Hold on a sec. So when you say the term mental illness, my mind immediately goes to like severe. So yeah. help, help yeah. me out, help us out yeah. just for a second. What, what does mental illness mean and why do we use that term instead yeah. of a different one? Yeah, and uh, it's so hard, right? So like I said, this is a fairly new field. And when we uh, begin to, when they begin to study mental health and start to create different ways of understanding and thinking about mental health, um, it had to be given kind of a structure. And so... We decided to put mental health under the umbrella of medical. Uh, so if you want your insurance to reimburse you for things, if you want to be able to go to counseling, it's got to have something that's valid and that we understand can be tracked. Um, 
So all to say that what they decided was that we would call it an illness. Now, illness is just a negative term, right? It just is. So for the purposes of our conversation, um, I like to use the term uh, mental challenge or mental issue because we all have them. Um, and the other important thing to understand is like medical health, mental health is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I might go to my doctor clinic and I've got a sinus infection, right? So they're gonna give me a few, some antibiotics. Uh, I'm gonna take those antibiotics after a little bit, get more sleep, and then I'll feel better. Um, and then there is the other side of the spectrum where someone may come in and they have extreme issues that need a lot more than just a dose of antibiotics. It's going to take repetitive visits. It may take some testing. Um, and so I think when we talk about mental health, remember it is a spectrum mm -hmm. and you may be anywhere on that spectrum. You may need a dose of therapy. Maybe you need 12 sessions, kind of what we talked about last week. What's your thinking? Let's talk about how that's impacting your feelings. Um, you go through a dose of therapy for about 12, 16 sessions and you feel so much better. You feel like you understand what's going on. You may be someone who needs a lot more intensive therapy. You may need medication. You may need testing. Um, but what you're going to do is make sure to get that help. So that's a really long explanation for mental health. Right. And we're working towards mental health, but mental illness is the term that we use to just give it a term that the medical community accepts. Right. And so we yeah. can get reimbursed. So we can get right. reimbursed. That's, and maybe and that's get basically it. Yeah. It's the term yeah. we use so you yeah. can get reimbursed and your health care plan can cover it. But yeah. we want to be clear that we're all going to deal with this in one way or another. All yeah. right, what's the next one? Uh, okay, so one in five. So one in five adults experience some kind of mental challenge every year, okay? So one in 20 is going to be more on that extreme spectrum. So these might be things like a major depressive episode or an extreme form of PTSD. They may have bipolar. Um, so there, so uh, one in 20 adults is going to experience that. One in six youth, so here we go, six to 17, experience a mental health disorder each year. Um, and 50% here, this is, youth is, it's pretty important, the data around youth. 50% uh, of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% by age 24. Mm. Um, and lastly, I think a really important thing to understand is what the data shows us is the average delay between an onset of mental health challenges or issues and the time someone gets to treatment, the average is 11 years. So I think that speaks to why it's really important for us as parents and as adults in our community mm -hmm. to understand that when our kids are experiencing um, struggles, that we don't want to wait and say, well, that's just a phase. They're going to get over that. Um, we actually need to address it because what we know is if we can even do a small dose, that dose we talked about, that can have incredible protective factors for them. So right. I just really think it really speaks to our youth groups and how important that work is yeah. uh, in our communities for mental health. That's right. And I think this, is, this last one is really important because 
we need to understand that our mental health is as important as our physical health and our spiritual health and our emotional health. So I had, I had a sinus infection a couple weeks ago. Do you think it would be a good idea for me to wait 11 years to go to the doctor for that? That sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? Can you imagine the side effects and the issues that I would have physically if I waited 11 years? But we're all doing that mentally. Let that sit in for a sec. We're doing that mentally. And then we wonder why we have issues and problems in our relationships, in our families, and how we're connecting with one another and things that are going on in our... And, and then it starts to affect your physical body too. We'll talk about that later, just based on the way you think and how your body's being affected, your physical body's being affected by your thinking and your emotions and all of it. But I, I want us to think about how important that is, that um, going to a physical doctor, if you go to a physical doctor because you have a sinus infection, then it might also be something that when you and I have a mental challenge that we call a good counselor that we trust and say, hey, can I come talk to you for a session? This is really important. I don't think I'm thinking right. Just like we would say what? I don't think I'm feeling right. We would also say, right? I don't think I'm thinking right. So I need to go talk to Pastor Mark. Maybe he'll share some verses with me and we can get that figured out. Or maybe I'll go talk to a good Christian counselor like Sonia and just get, get my thinking right for a second. And so this is really important for us to understand just how important this really is in our life. And we're going to take a bulk of our time this morning talking about two factors that help us understand mental health in a really big way. And these two factors... They help us evaluate the things that are going on in our minds and our thinking, and they challenge us to get right with Jesus. They challenge us to think right, to transform our thinking, and to live right with Jesus. So could you talk about these two factors for a minute, and then we're going to break them down for a moment. Yeah, so um, last week we went really individual, right? We kind of zeroed in on individually what's going on in your mind. So we're going to take a little bit uh, of a perspective. But when you come into counseling, one of the things we're doing is we're kind of looking at all everything that's going in, on in your life. And one of the things we really look for, oh, what are your protective factors and what are your risk factors? Mm -hmm. um, and so there are a lot of them. Um, but one of the things that we know helps with mental health is everybody has protective factors. So we really want to know and glean from sitting with you, what are those things that we know God has put into your life, either people or situations or strengths that are going to protect your mental health? And then uh, we look at like, oh, there's the thing that puts you at risk. Mm -hmm. So protective and risk is right. really what we're looking at. Very good. All right. So let's jump in. What are some risk factors so, that we deal with often? Yeah. So risk factors, again, these are big and broad, but um, isolation. Are you, are you very isolated? Uh, financial stress and poverty are huge uh, risk factors. Uh, someone that you sit with and they seem to have a low self-esteem, that's a risk factor. Um, generational family trauma or family conflict is a risk factor. Chronic health conditions can be a risk factor. Um, addiction issues. So you can see, like, there's a lot of them. Um, right. there's, there's a whole host. Um, and I think we kind of, we can go through all of them, but we thought, uh, we talked about what might be just two yeah. that we could say, hey, if, 
if we took some time and really focused on these two, this would relate to probably a, a lot of people and would just really be important for us to understand. And research is showing us that these two are huge and counselors are telling us right now that these two things are really big for all of us, right? And what are those two things? Yeah. Um, so isolation, which creates loneliness, mm -hmm. is a huge risk factor for us right now, especially after the pandemic. Um, and um, social media without boundaries is another huge risk factor for mental mm. health. Maybe we should just talk about the first one. Okay, because we're all there, right? We'll, we'll get to it. Just hold on. She's going to push your button in a minute. Okay, talk to us about just the impact of loneliness. Uh, it is serious. Uh, I've, just as a pastor, I've probably seen more people make challenging and difficult decisions based on loneliness than just about anything, because it's really, really hard to deal with. Um, but tell us an impact of loneliness and, and then maybe give us some data about loneliness that we're finding and discovering. Yeah, so also want to define loneliness. Yeah. You can be in a church, you can be in a school, you can be in a room surrounded by people and be lonely. So uh, mm -hmm. isolation and the feeling of loneliness is different than being alone and just being glad you got five minutes to yourself, right? Like right. They're, yeah. they're very different. Yes. Um, so uh, it's interesting because the Surgeon General last year came out with a report um, and the report was entitled Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Social Isolation. And this report cited 324 studies and sources that identified how our lack of social connection, especially coming out of the pandemic, how that has created a significant health risk. So this isn't like people are just feeling kind of sad because they're by themselves. People are getting sick and it's creating a problem for our entire nation. And you're talking about mental health and physical health now. We're, yes. we're noticing our mental health as a result of COVID and things that we didn't do well in isolation and loneliness is now affecting physical health. Yeah, right, which both. is what we've known from some other big studies in the past, too, but we're seeing it again in a greater way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you want me to give the I kind do. of data? I do. Um, yep. Give the data. So one, I'm just going to share some of the things again. For those of you who don't like numbers, you can zone out for a minute, but, um, but I like them. Um, so one of the things that, again, there were 324 sources, uh, what they determined is that your risk for premature death increased by 26 and 29% if you are having high feelings of isolation and loneliness. That's a, that's a pretty significant. Um, it, and they try to say, okay, so like we can say 29%, like what would be the comparison? What would be something practical we could tell people that if you are isolating yourself and if you are feeling lonely and you're not able to work on um, fixing that need, um, it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the impact of health um, that it has on our bodies. Um, it's, it increases the risk of heart disease, risk of stroke. Um, when we talk mental health, what it increases significantly is anxiety and depression. For those who are older, it increases um, the onset of dementia 
and dementia symptoms. And so this is nothing to mess around with yeah. um, as far as addressing. Yeah. So let's talk about that just for a minute because this is a little bit on my heart. Think with us as a culture, what do we do with older people when we feel like they're not worth anything anymore? We isolate them. Great and idea. And in COVID, we Great not only idea. isolated them, but we weren't able to have any interactions right. and yeah, with and them. Right, yeah, and then we so could have the contact onset. with them during COVID. So I'm going to talk about this later, but I'm just going to nail it just for a second. Do you think the enemy is attacking our culture mentally with the way we do life? Absolutely. We're taking all of the wisdom of our culture and saying, why don't we just lock you up somewhere? And let's see what happens to you mentally and physically. That's not a good idea. And then dementia sets in and we lose that person earlier than we could have. That's a result of how we do life as Americans. And I think as the body of Christ, we have to learn how to do that better and do that differently. So what's another thing that we've noticed is, oh, talk about that, um, the lack of social connection and how uh, our advancements technology are kind of working yeah. with that. Yeah, so it's interesting. Again, you can um, be in a room with a whole bunch of people or you can be talking to people and but still feel very lonely. So here's why I thought I'd tell a little bit about what's going on physiologically that yeah. causes these problems. So when, remember last week we talked about how your thoughts impact your feelings, impact your behaviors, also they impact your body responses. So when you have the thought that no one cares or that you really want to connect with someone because everyone has that need to connect and be heard mm -hmm. and feel understood. So it's really that lack of someone listening and you feeling understood. If you don't have those, what happens is your body actually kicks on a fight or flight response right. um, because God has designed us that when we get these responses, it prompts us to do something about it, right? right. Like you're feeling this way um, in a healthy environment, you would recognize I'm lonely, um, I have these ways that I could reach out to people, I can feel better, and then you're gonna feel healthy again. Loneliness is the lack of either the ability to have that or um, not doing that, not reaching out. And so what happens is you get a fight or flight response, which then floods your body with a stress hormone. And because loneliness just keeps happening, it's like your body never comes down from that stress. It keeps saying, I'm lonely, I'm lonely, this, something's wrong, something's bad. So you're flooded with cortisol. And when you're flooded uh, on an ongoing basis, you will become sick right? So your body is going to start feeling right. sick. So that's why loneliness makes us not feel well, um, is right. because our bodies are trying to get us to do something to change that. Right. And it, we're also like kind of compounding that with technology, because now we have technology that allows us to sit in isolation. We can have um, a food delivery service, bring us our food, we can have automation do everything for us, and we can have remote entertainment that's at our fingertips, and we feel like, what? I don't ever have to leave the home. Yeah, and that's what was interesting in the study, too, that they found it doesn't take too much to help shift that. So even a conversation with, like if you go to a coffee place and um, you're talking to the barista, that 
actually is kind of a protective factor, and that's what went away. We didn't have these ongoing kind of communications with people that made us feel like, oh, you see me. Oh, there's another person who saw me today. Oh, I went and did this thing. So if anything, even just getting out um, and doing just some normal things, but having some kind of connection, it tells the brain that we're that things are okay. Right. Now, there's the deeper, you know, there's deeper loneliness and there's deeper things, but even those small um, steps are important. Right. Now, we read a really good verse about that this week. If you're following along with the Bible Project and you're going through the Sermon on the Mount with us, we read a really good verse about this week and we studied about it, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, that said... How good is life for those who hunger and thirst for right relationships because they will be satisfied. What a great reminder that our social connection with one another, our right relationships satisfy the deep things in our soul that God has for us. Really, really important. Okay, uh, I know we probably don't want to because this is gonna be where we really kind of maybe push some buttons but we do need to talk about social media as a risk factor, don't we? Okay, so, and we're really talking about social media without boundaries because it's interesting how social media, social media can kind of be a protective factor, but it also can be a risk factor. So talk about that. Yeah, so that idea that we don't want to be in loneliness and for some people because of maybe where they live or their situation, maybe health conditions, social media can actually be a protective factor, right? Because then that, that loneliness, they're able to, re- someone's able to reach out, connect with others, uh, share a sense of community. So that's all great. Um, we're talking about social media without boundaries. And I don't know if anybody saw that they had this whole hearing a couple weeks ago with the social media people. And they were like, yep. no, we're, the data doesn't support that this is bad for anybody. And that's just not true. It's um, uh, social media without boundaries um, is, is hard on our mental health. Um, if anybody has ever watched uh, a documentary called The Social Dilemma, mm-hmm. um, that tells you, it's, it's really interesting. We are living in a time where we can talk to the people that actually created all the social media. And a lot of them now are kind of having second thoughts about yeah. being on mm-hmm. board with it because they understood what they did is they tapped into how we understand the brain to work and they monetized it and then has created problems. So I'm not going to go off on that tangent, but mental health wise, um, here's what we know that they tapped into that without boundaries can be harmful to our mental health. So number one, we are wired with uh, a comparison bias. Mm -hmm. So we are wired to look around us and see the people around us and see kind of what's going on. And um, the reason that that's important is that's what helps us as society kind of create social norms and rules. It's what helps our churches be really stable um, because we can look around and learn from each other. um, And it helps us create a sense of community and belonging. Mm -hmm. So we have actually a bias to go that direction, to look around and kind of see like, Am I okay? Do I fit in? Is adolescence, that's on hyperdrive, right? Like when we get a little more mature, we can decide if that's helpful for us or not. Um, but we, that is hardwired into us. It is the way God designed us. There is nothing wrong with it until we are subjected to images and um, all the different things flooding us um, day in and day out about how maybe our comparison isn't good enough 
or uh-oh, um, which then, here we go, fight or flight response again, kicks in, same biological process, we're flooded with cortisol, and then we start getting anxious, because I'm not quite doing what I'm supposed to, I'm not as good as, and I think what's really interesting is they call it a feed for a reason. It's, mm. it's feeding us daily, over and over and over. So without boundaries, it will make us feel sick. Yeah, that's really, really a big challenge. And it's also something that we've noticed from a kind of on the, the stat side, but also on just how our body wired, is wired. It's almost like an addiction. Yeah, so that's the second component. So the first component was the comparison bias that wears wired into us. The second is um, one of the things to know about addiction, whether it is addiction to a substance, like a drug or alcohol addiction, or it's a behavioral addiction, which might be gambling, shopping. Um, they all follow the same circuitry in the brain. So what they tapped into is, it, so it's basically pleasure-seeking, right? We're, we're mm -hmm. trying to get something that makes us feel good. And when we're having a hard day, you know, a little jolt is something that makes us feel good, a little thumbs up or whatever, that feels really good. The problem being is, again, when that's going in and feeding all day long, it creates the same pathways and then creates the same kind of mechanism in the brain um, that we would call an addictive behavior. So, yeah. Right. And they knew this when they created it. So um, right. it's, just, it's just feeding that. And this is something I think we all know. We might not know the brain reason, but we know what it does. Right. And we also talked about neuroplasticity last week and the ability that the brain has to make new neural pathways and connections, which brings us a lot of hope and helps us as believers to put our hope in Christ instead of the feeling that we feel when we're on social media. And that's really important for us as well um, because we want to be free from all things. And um, you mentioned that, that this idea, you, you had a great physical example of this that I loved. It was an illustration of something that I love too, which is Oreo cookies. So, so talk to us about how social media <laughs> is like an Oreo cookie. Yeah, I conceptualize it for myself. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen the Costco box of Oreos. They come in these sleeves and I love Oreos. Um, and so when my kids were younger and we would go on vacations, I'd get the big box of Costco Oreos. Um, and what I know is that um, Oreo cookies are not bad for me if I have two or three a day. I mean, I'm sure people could argue with, but for me, uh, two to three Oreo cookies a day satisfy me. They make me happy. Um, when I've had a hard day, I might have a few more. Um, but again, uh, if I were to sit down and eat the entire, all the sleeves, I think there's 12 in a box of these big long sleeves, I would be not feeling very well. And I think that's kind of the same, it's the same idea. Um, if you're gonna sit and, you know, one hour, two hour, three hour on social media, you're just not gonna feel very well. Right. If you did half hour, you might feel fine. Right. Um, whatever the amount of time is, but yeah. So tell us a little bit about, um how we've seen that work out just statistically. You, you mentioned a couple things about having boundaries. So what were some things that we've seen 
coming out lately. Yeah, so the impact on teenagers and adolescents is, is really huge. And there's a lot of studies on that, but it's because of the development of the brain. It's still developing. Um, and so there's not some of the reasoning in play. Um, but what the studies have shown is that as they begin to reduce um, the number of hours that people, so one study, um, they took a bunch of young adults, so college age, and they, they restricted them to 30 minutes a day, um, took data both on physical and mental health, and then for, uh, for three weeks, um, they also had other control groups. So they also, uh, other groups, so some groups were going to a group therapy, um, and some were doing individual therapy, and then they had a group that just cut down on social media, and the interesting thing is the effect in the reduction of depression and anxiety was really significant for all of them. So one of them just cut out social media, and all their depression and anxiety went down um, quite a bit. Um, and that has been replicated in many different studies. It's the reduction of the amount, not the taking away from. Um, it's just the reduction of it that tends to lead to better mental health. Right. That's really good. And another thing that is connected with that, and we'll talk about this as a protective factor in a minute, but we've also seen that one of the things that is kind of the opposite of that, sitting isolated with my feed and working through things, the opposite of that is being in community. And which, when you think about what God told us to do, what did God tell us about community? Make sure you're always going, right? Remember Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, let us think of ways we can motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So here's what's interesting. God's word says what? We need to be together. Why? Because we motivate us in the right direction. When we're together, we motivate one another in healthy ways, spiritually and mentally and emotionally and physically. We motivate one another to love and good works. And so what God is doing, isn't it interesting that even as the, we move along through history and as technological technological as we get, God still has the answer for what our cell, the cell in our body is looking for. And it's so important for us to understand that. So talk just for a minute as we kind of close this out, Sonia, um, what would social media with boundaries look like? Uh, you know, it's going to depend, but in general, um, if you're limiting whatever your amount is, if you're noticing it's becoming a problem, limiting it, um, you know, 30 minutes to an hour a day. That's going to be helpful. Uh, one of the very biggest ones is keep your phone somewhere else, not in your bedroom where you sleep, because your brain actually um, alerts itself. If you are on the phone a lot, it tells you might, it sends a signal that you may need to attend to that phone. So you actually don't get the restful sleep you need. So put the phone somewhere else and then the brain kind of says, oh, I can't get to that thing. You can disconnect from it. So keeping the phone somewhere else and in your bedroom, and I know when you use it as an alarm, because people say, but I use it as my alarm. There are alarm clocks. I know it's an old thought. Not many people use them, but it works. Um, I when, bought one for 10 bucks the other day. 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Probably get one Goodwill for nothing. I don't know. Probably. Um, yep. I have a friend I love. When she has a gathering of teenagers, she has this cute little basket. And it just says phone basket. And so when the 
adolescents, teenagers are getting together. They just know they come in, they put their phone in the basket, and then they get to connect like away from all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I think for families, that's a good one. Um, I've had families actually get a locking safe because their kids would sneak down at night and get the phone and <laughs> that cause problems. So whatever it is, it's kind of like, hey, from here to here, we get to be on our phones, we get to enjoy connection, mm -hmm. all the good stuff. This time, we turn it off, we put it away, uh, teaching your kids the importance to keep that boundary with the phone. Like, well, what we're really saying is like, I'm in control of the phone, the phone's not in control of me, which is a really mm. nice way to teach like you getting to have that control, yeah. it's so important. One of the things I talk about a lot with um, people that are getting married when I'm doing premarital counseling is that one of, the, one of our biggest ways of communicating, I know you talk about this as a counselor as well, is our nonverbals, okay? So when I'm talking with you or you're talking with me or we're talking with someone else, what, what should we do with our phone? Because we can actually communicate a huge nonverbal with our phone, can't we? Oh, yeah, so it's phone away. So phone down is nice, except for if you have notifications, then it buzzes and your eyes go to the phone, right? So best thing, if you want to be in connection with someone, is phone away mm. and notifications off. Right. Because when we are trying to hang out with someone and my phone beeps and they're talking to me about the most important part of their day and I look at my phone, <laughs> what did I just say? Mm, right. I just said, I don't care about you. And so that's really important. We do that really to our, our important loved ones too. When yeah, we, we do, do that it, with our yeah. kids, yep. it's just, it's, isn't Same just thing. as bad. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's very, very important. Okay. And then uh, lastly, talk about a phone detox. Uh, yeah. Phone detox, uh, social media, any, any kind of internet detox is really good for us. Just like if any of you have done a cleanse, a health cleanse, every once in a while they recommend, hey, you should go on this really awful, like only liquid diet and you know, it's <laughs> real awful. And, uh, but we get done and it kind of clears everything out. We're feeling better, got more energy. Same thing with social media, with uh, phones, all that, if you can go through you know, even a week period where you're, you're touching base with, you've got to do emails or something like that, and then shutting it off. It's just helpful. Yep, yeah. good. Okay, those are risk factors. Okay, what are protective factors? Yeah, so um, this is real easy and real exciting because we keep saying it, but here is um, some exciting research. Uh, Harvard started a research in 1938 and they tracked 724 uh, people, um, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, and they, every two years, would check in with them on their physical health and their mental health. Um, what's amazing is it is 85 years later now, so they have not only tracked those people every two years, they have gotten permission for a subset to track their children and now their grandchildren. So this study has allowed us to have a really good insight into the physical health and the mental health of a large group of people. And um, they just really, they, they release kind of their outcomes every 10 years or so. So they just came out with one. And the bottom line is the number one protective factor for keeping people mentally and physically healthy are positive relationships, period. It is not health, diet, it is mm. not exercise, 
it is not mental communication. <laughs> I know, thank goodness, right? Oh, thank goodness. I can be it's like, oh, I, I don't need to exercise because I've got good friends. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that during physical health, physical health. but yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. but it's kind of right, but. Yeah. Those things but are important, does, yeah, yes, but the number right. one, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, thank you for laughing at that. Well, the number one outcome was those who had positive relationships, positive relationships on a consistent basis had better mental health and physical health overall, and that's just, that's right. just the bottom line. So that study is really good. Can you, just for a moment, so that leads us to defining positive or, or to protective factors. So a protective factor is what? Let's let's put it in. A yeah, just definition. something that sounds like uh, like risk factors or something that might make us susceptible to mental health challenges. Risk factors, or sorry, protective factors, factors are going to be those things that protect us. Um, this is why uh, we say like kids that are in school that do activities. Uh, that's going to be really helpful because it's not just that they go to school, but they're in activities and they start right. creating community. Yep. Um, if they do sports or theater or music or whatever, that's why we know those kids tend to do better um, is because they start to create community. And the community, what that means is really like I feel seen and heard by other people and I matter. Right. Yeah. Now, by the way, one of the things that's interesting is God's word, like Almost the entire thing is protective factors. Like that's God's word. It's just one protective factor after another. Things like this. Honor your father and mother so that you may live a long life in the land the Lord the God is giving you. You want to live long in the land? Honor your father and mother. Proverbs 16.3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your steps. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. These are protective factors. And by the way, there's thousands of them in God's word. All these verses we like that encourage us and give us hope, those are protective factor verses that help us have great mental health. Tim Mackey, uh, the, the theologian that is doing uh, the Bible Project, said this this week about one of the Beatitudes that he was tearing apart. I loved the quote. He said, when people treat each other the way Jesus taught, it leads to healthy, satisfying relationships where things are made right. And that's what God's kingdom is all about. When we live in the protective factors, we live in the kingdom of God. And we, we live the way Jesus wants us to. Okay, so we talked about two big risk factors. What are two big positive or um, protective factors? Yeah, so we've got um, basically being in community, um, having positive relationships. Mm -hmm. The second one um, is a little more abstract and it's hard to define, but having a sense of purpose is a huge protective factor. Um, we know this with our adolescents. One of the things that they really, really, where they thrive is where we help direct them into they matter and they have a purpose and we help direct them to that purpose. Um, and I think one thing we talked about um, when Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he gets to this point where he's like, everything's meaningless. Nothing means anything. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, as a counselor, was like, oh, he was having a depressive episode. But I think uh, <laughs> kind of what what 
so the concept is he got to a place where he lost his sense of purpose. Right. What is my purpose? When we lose a sense of purpose, our mental health will struggle because God designed us to get those alerts so that we will seek that sense of purpose. Now, um, I want to hit this because I think this is a great example of American culture. Now, follow me. God blessed Solomon so much that he had everything he needed and wanted, right? He's the wisest in the world and he's the wealthiest in the world. So, follow me. He has the most education and the most ability to learn at his fingertips. And he has the most money at his fingertips. That is the American culture. We have the most education at our fingertips and we have the most wealth at our fingertips. And you can still not have the community that you need and not have a sense of purpose. You can have everything that Maslow tells you to have in his list of needs and not have what you need at the deepest because I think Maslow's level of needs left something out, purpose and spirituality. And so you can have a great house and you can have all the food you need, but if you don't have love and belonging and you don't have a sense of purpose, we've discovered, just like Solomon said, and just like other people that have been very wealthy, have showed us. Even in, like, you look at what people like Marilyn Monroe and Elvis did in their lives, you think, oh my gosh, both these people have the world at their fingertips. And they want to check out. Because deep down inside, when they put their head on the pillow, there's no real community. There's no real life-giving community in their life. Everybody's just coming at them for something fake. And they have no sense of purpose, even though they are entertained in the world, they have no sense of purpose, and so they check out. And that's a good reminder to us how important this is and how you and I have to think about this in a very, very important way. Well, we need to kind of land to the plane. I, I was just looking at the I clock. I could talk about this yeah, all day. We could day. talk that's about this problem. for a long time, but we got to land the plane. Okay, so let me, let me bring us home here just for a minute. Um, there's something that I believe God has given us that's really important, and that is his word. His word does so much for us. I mentioned that it, you know, you, you're going to read through God's word, and guess what you're going to find? You're going to find those verses that tell us, that warn us about the risk factors. We're going to find those verses. And then we're going to find the verses that remind us about those protective factors. We're, we're going to see that all throughout God's word. But one of the things that is a really good, helpful mental health exercise that you and I can do, we call, we call them I am confessions or better, maybe I am affirmations. And there's tons of them in God's word. And they go something like this. You find those verses that tell you what God has said about you or wants to do through you. They're things like this. Romans 5.1 tells us, I am at peace with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, I am righteous. Colossians 1.28 tells us, I am perfect in Christ. Romans 8.17 tells us, I am a co-heir with Christ. Jeremiah 31.3 tells me, I am love. 1 John 3.1 tells me, I am a child of God. Zephaniah 3.17 says, God delights in me. 1 Peter 2.24 says, I am forgiven. 
Psalm 139.14 says, I am wonderfully made. Now, I have a document with these things on them. There's literally a hundred of them. But we tend to focus on what my feed is telling me instead of what God's word is telling me. Now, just for a minute, if, if we made this a daily practice of our mental health as followers of Christ, what would we believe after a month? We believe what God's word says. So when, when somebody came up to me and said, you're ugly, I'd say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. God's word says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. But my grandkids love this giant mole on my face. <laughs> oh, just the other day, Garrett was playing with it. He's like, what's that, grandpa? Like, that's my beauty spot. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, right? I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm forgiven. There's no condemnation in my life because Jesus has set me free. If we start living those things, telling ourselves those things, believing those protective factors, the mental unhealth cannot get in. Let me end with this. There's gonna be a picture on the screen. This is a picture of something that just recently happened in the country of India. India right now is going through massive persecution. I don't know if you knew this. The president of India has, um, is desiring and is making a concerted effort to make India a Hindu nation. So he's actually empowering judges, lawmakers, and special forces people to go and persecute Muslims and Christians and say you either convert or we'll burn your house down. We'll kill you. They're rounding up Christian pastors right now and Muslim elams, and they're just putting them in jail. Now, here's my point. This is what's happening in India because the laws and the structure allow it. It's what I would call a religious stronghold. It's the way the enemy who hates mankind in India is forcing them to never understand Jesus in a healthy way. It's physical persecution. But in a country like ours, where if somebody burns our house down, we got laws to protect that. that ain't, that's probably not gonna happen again, right? Now it might, as we move into the future, when people start to really hate Christians on a global level, that may, that may happen and we'll have to deal with that when it comes. But here's my point. What do you do as the enemy of mankind in a country that's wealthy, that has good laws, good structures and good systems where our physical property is protected? You're gonna to have to attack them a different way. You're gonna to have to have a strong hold on them so that they don't think about Jesus in a healthy way, in a different way. And in our country right now today, that's mentally. The battle that you and I are dealing with right now that affects our spiritual health the most is mental, not physical. The physical persecution we're seeing in other places in the world, the mental persecution is happening right here with us. 
And so the things that we've talked about and that Sonia has walked us through over the past two weeks is incredibly important. And dealing with the, um, the things that you and I need to deal with on a regular basis to help us be strong in Christ are the things that you and I need to do. And, and we talked about one of them last week, which is helping us get our minds right and help us focus on the things that are important in our lives. And I just want to end with this because it's so important for our mental health. And that's Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 4 through 8, that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all our understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Don't we all need someone to help us guard our mind? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If we want to be free people in Jesus mentally and we want to be all in for Jesus, we got to start thinking right. And we've got to take our mental health serious. Whether it's something small or something big, <coughs> we have to take it serious. So would you stand with me and let's close this morning. Sonia, you want to join me up here? And I'm going to ask Sonia just to pray for us. She deals with this on a regular basis every day. And I'm just going to ask you to pray uh, a blessing of mental health over our church and over us, over our city, over the West Plains, that we would be people that are truly healthy so that we can present the gospel of Jesus Christ in a powerful way. Thank you. Well, Lord Jesus, we come before you humbled and so grateful that you laid down your life for us so that we can live in freedom. And so, Lord, I do pray. I pray for every mind and every heart in this room to be touched by your Holy Spirit and reminded of who they are in Christ as a dearly beloved child of God with a meaning and a purpose to be fulfilled, Lord. I pray that you will give each person here a sense of a beginning, if not um, a confirmation yes. of their meaning and purpose. And Lord, will you guide us to people who can help us along the way? Will you make us able to ask for help if we need it along the way? And most importantly, Lord, will you be glorified through our hearts and mind? Because we love you, Lord. And we do want to be all in for you. And we want to live for you daily. So we ask for your help in this. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being here this morning. If you'd like to pray about something, our prayer partners are going to be up here. We'd love to pray with you before you go. So don't leave if you really feel like the Lord's wanting to pray, you to pray about something and get some help about something. So uh, thanks for coming. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So Kate and I, have a great week.